0: This is the OTP presented by Farm Bureau Health Plans. Need great health care coverage at an affordable price? Let Farm Bureau Health Plans coach you through it. Protecting Tennesseans since 1947. Get a quote today at FBHP.com. With Rhett Bryan from Titans Radio, I am Mike Keith. We are excited as Oilers Tribute Weekend is approaching the Titans and the Colts. Sunday shortly afternoon, Central Time at Nissan Stadium. We're on the air on Titans Radio. That's 104.5 The Zone in Nashville. And all of our great Titans Radio partners, beginning with Titans Countdown at 11 a.m. Rhett Bryan, you and I are of the same age you and I stood at practices together at Tennessee state, watching the Tennessee Oilers go through training camp. And the two of us marveled at the fact that the place where we grew up, you and Murfreesboro and me and Franklin, we were dumbfounded that we were seeing an actual NFL team because you and I both grew up as huge NFL fans. And now we had a team here. And so This is the 25th year of football in the state of Tennessee. That wonder has not quite worn off for us because both of us are still nostalgic. And as we honor the Oilers this weekend and the tradition started by Bud Adams in 1960, I want to ask you to go back 40-something years. What do you remember when you recall those days as a kid seeing the Houston Oilers play?
1: Let me start by this. I still have this item of clothing. My mother saved it, and I have it at home. In fact, I'm going to take a picture of it and tweet it out later. But from the Sears and Roebuck catalog, I have my button-up windbreaker Houston Oilers jacket that I had when I was in probably second grade. You had a Houston Oilers windbreaker. I did, I, and it's in great shape. I'll, I'll, I'll tweet it later. You'll see. And so, you know, the first thing I remember when I think of that, because— you know, Houston, the Love Ya Blue era was – I was a pretty small guy. But the thing I remember initially was Earl Campbell coming onto the scene. Uh, you know, he's a rookie. He has these tr- enormous tree trunk thighs. He's running over guys. They had the away jerseys. There's, he's, you know, shredding those because people are trying to, you know, get him and tackle him. But the Monday night football game against the Miami Dolphins, which – I, I, I wouldn't allow to stay up that late to see that through, but to, to hear how he ran for 199 yards and four touchdowns the next day was impressive. Uh, if people didn't know who Earl Campbell was before then, then they must have been under a rock. They certainly did after that because Howard Cosell went crazy. You know, here's this rookie from the University of Texas, the Tyler Rose, who just ran all over the Dolphins.
0: Think about this. We've had Earl Campbell. We've had Eddie George. We've had Chris Johnson, and now we have Derrick Henry. What other franchise in the NFL has four like that? Some of them have three.
1: But I don't think anybody else gets to four.
0: Nobody else gets to four like us. And this weekend, uh, Amy Adams Strunk will induct Bum Phillips into the Ring of Honor. And I think it is so special because my first memories, and I'm a little older than Mm -hmm. you, But I remember seeing Bum Phillips, and I remember thinking, wow, they've got a coach who's wearing a cowboy hat. When he's outside, not inside, he wouldn't wear his hat in the house, but he's wearing the big belt buckle, and these guys sure do play for him. How could you not like Bum Phillips? Bum Phillips was, to me, what the Oilers were. And so, and I wanted him to beat Pittsburgh too. That was the other thing. I didn't like Pittsburgh.
1: Yeah, that's maybe another topic uh, later on that's in this podcast. That's
0: another OTP <laughs> discussion. But I think it is so exciting to see that Bum Phillips gets this nod at this moment from Amy Adams Strunk. And I think the Titans fans who know who Bum Phillips were, maybe not some of the younger ones, but those of our era are like, yes, yes, yes. It's interesting, too, you did an interview with Earl Campbell where you talked to him about the Love You Blue era, and he didn't talk as much about Earl Campbell as he did about Bum Phillips. Let's play that clip, and you can hear Earl Campbell's respect for Bum Phillips.
2: The city was, like, kind of paying attention to that they had a football team, but they go to the games, I guess, before because they had tickets. You could get tickets, like, anywhere people give them to you. And all of a sudden, Bum had these guys playing football. And all of a sudden, uh, we made our football team and Bum Phillips made everybody feel like a family. We were just a happy family. That's how Bum Phillips. See, if you couldn't be part of a family, if it was about you, I, and not us or whatever, Bum gets you off the team no matter how good you are. I seen him get rid of some good guys that was all about I. And that's how he liked it. And once, you know, Earl was the hit thing. Everybody, nobody had to tell me that. But, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do this if it wasn't for the offensive line. And, you know, that was true, but that's not what the press wanted to hear. They wanted to hear how great I was. And I turned it into what Bum wanted. This is our football team lose together, we win together, and we cry together. And that's really how it was. And the city took on to that.
0: I mean, that's all you need to know about Bum Phillips, right?
1: How many times did he say it was like a family in there? Yeah. And you're right. Bum Phillips was larger than life because, you know, he didn't wear traditional coaching gear on the sidelines. I mean, at this window in time, Tom Landry is wearing a fedora and a suit, and he... He kind of looked like my granddad, my dad's dad would wear a Western belt with a buckle and would wear the mother of pearl buttons on a Western shirt and those things. So, you know, there was a relatability there. And you're right. I mean, he's just this down to earth cowboy guy, uh, Western flair and, you know, very humble and yeah absolutely they it's clear they all bought
0: in they all bought in and he was a great football coach and his son went on to become a great football coach his son certainly everyone knows wade phillips great defensive coordinator uh, outstanding head coach with buffalo and dallas he was the interim coach a couple of places as well throughout his career and uh, really did a nice job and i had a chance to visit with him a few days ago about his dad bum phillips and tell you a couple of stories about Bum that you didn't know, including one about the fact that he was a real-life hero. Here's my conversation with Wade Phillips. Wade, for a lot of us who grew up watching the NFL in the 1970s, we saw the national teams. We saw the Dallases and the Pittsburghs and the Oaklands and you know that whole bunch. When we would see the Houston Oilers, our identification with them was Bum Phillips, your dad and we came to love watching him coach what was a very successful team in that period of time. I've always wondered that bum Phillips that we saw on Sundays on our TVs how close to that was the bum Phillips that you knew on an everyday basis
3: well the same guy you know he's still wearing his cowboy hat and cowboy boots and and uh, enjoying life on his ranch when he wasn't coaching. So he um, didn't change that much for sure. Was
0: that one of the secrets to his coaching success is that he was basically who he was?
3: Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, people talk about, you know, being yourself uh, and, and communicating with people that way is better. And I think it is. And uh, he was certainly that way. <laughs> he was a a cowboy or a Westerner.
0: When you talk about him specifically as a coach, what did he know well and what did he do well as a football coach in particular?
3: Well, he was a defensive minded coach, um, number one. And then he, uh, his communication skills were great. You know, uh, everybody loved to play for him, you know, and they played harder for him. And that's, um, you know that's that's a hard thing to do, uh, to get everybody to pull in, in in the right direction. You know all, all that stuff that he talked about. But uh, team, like everybody talks about today. I mean he he uh, he had that team atmosphere that uh, that you want.
0: Your dad was a hero. I mean he enlisted in the Marines after World War II, and he saw some of the real stuff in the South Pacific. How do you think that impacted not only his life, but his work with young men as a coach?
3: Yeah, it it actually surprised me a little bit because, um, you know, he wasn't, (laughs) he was a Marine, but he wasn't uh, all military, you know, Uh, because I can remember, you know, when I was, when I was in college and everybody was growing long hair and, you know, and all that stuff was going on and, you know, I expected the ex-Marine to say, hey, you know, you know, and he said people are people, you know, and it doesn't matter if they have long hair or not. You know, it's, it's how they act and how they present themselves, you know. So um, he really didn't have that military. This is the only way of thinking, you know. So and I think that's why he was able to communicate well. Spend a year with Bear Bryant. And Bear Bryant liked him a lot. They were
0: together in 1957. Bear Bryant's last year at Texas A&M, the year John David Crow won the Heisman Trophy. What do you think your dad took from that experience that that moved forward with him as a football coach?
3: Well, he uh, yeah, he he thought that that was a great great year being around Coach Bryant because he said he learned so many things about uh, communicating with people, you know, um, and. He applied it to himself too. So, um, but a lot of things Coach Bryant did were, um, you know, ahead of the time football wise, you know, as far as practices were concerned and organization and those kind of things. Um, and uh, yeah, he, I mean, he he loved Coach Bryant. And, uh, you know, in fact, I went to the Gator Bowl game with him that year with, with John David Crow. Uh, won the Heisman Trophy, and Charlie Krueger won the Outland Trophy, the best lineman in the country. They had two two my heroes, certainly. I was in elementary school, and uh, uh, I took a picture with Coach Bryant and my dad, and every time I saw Coach Bryant, all the way through the rest of my life, uh, and I was coach, coaching in the NFL and go by Alabama, he would bring up Wade, I remember you with that little hat you had on at the Gator Bowl, you know, and and the coaches the coaches at Alabama would always say, oh, no, hey, we got to hear that story again in our meeting today because because you're here. So uh, they kidding me about that. But uh, he, uh, he he was obviously a great, great coach, but he, he had great communication skills and he knew how to work with people.
0: Here's the number one thing I wonder about when I think about your dad and going through his bio and everything. So he coached high school, he coached college, he coached pro ball, and he kind of bounced back and forth between all of them over a period of time. How did he end up becoming the head coach of the Houston Oilers? How did that happen?
3: Yeah, uh, yeah, it happened quickly, you know, like you say, because uh, he, was a, he was the head coach at uh, UTEP, a Texas Western at that time and he took a high school job and uh um in southeast texas um, and i was i was in high school and he said well we're going to Port natures here and we're going to you know i'm going to be the athletic director one of these days and we're going to you know i'm going to we're going to retire here you know well two years later we went to he went to university of houston as the defensive coordinator and um and they did real well and uh, Sid Gilman was a, with the Chargers. He was a, he, he he was looking for a defensive line coach, and uh, uh, Frank Broyles and Daryl Raw both recommended my dad to him because he called around asking for, you know, a college coach, and so that's how he got with with uh, Sid. And then uh, then, Daddy went back to uh, college, went to Oklahoma State, and Sid Gilman went went to the Oilers and then Sid took over as the head coach and he hired my dad there. And then it was, you know, within, you know, within six, six years, he was coaching high school, to head coach of the NFL team. So it's yeah, pretty remarkable. Well, I coached with him, you know, so, uh, you know, all that was, I mean, I was with him for five years, so uh you know, all those memories are great. The, and going to the championship game and obviously losing to Pittsburgh a couple of years in a row. But, but uh, you know, the Earl Campbell and, and all the great players that I got to coach on defense. I, you know, I started coaching linebackers, and, and Robert Brazil just went in the Hall of Fame a couple of years ago. And then uh, when I started out, I was coaching D-line. And Curly Cop and Elvin Bethea are in the Hall of Fame. So uh, for a while there, I thought I was a heck of a coach, you know, <laughs> so I had those kind of players. But uh, I realized all of them couldn't play like those guys. But uh, but just being with that group and, and uh, having my NFL career start that way with my dad, that was really special.
0: Tremendous success. It just so happened that in your same division and in your same conference, was one of the great powerhouses of all times in those Pittsburgh Steelers teams. And in, in a slight way, when you look at it back from history, how different life would have been for those Houston Oilers, had it just been two years later in time, quite possibly had been away from those Steeler teams a little bit because your ball clubs with the Oilers, as you mentioned, they were star studded Wade.
3: Yeah. Yeah. We had, we had some great teams and, you know, Pittsburgh won four out of six Super Bowls at that time. So, uh, so it was a – and, you know, we, we were in the same division. So, uh, you know, that made it double tough. But we split. And we actually split every year in those years. Uh, normally we beat them at home and they beat us in Pittsburgh. And then, then, unfortunately, we had to play the championship game. We got all the way to the championship game, but we had to play in Pittsburgh. So that was really the difference.
0: A lot of people remember your dad from his sayings known as the bum-isms. I have a feeling those came out all the time and you probably heard a lot more of those than what the public did.
3: Yeah. I always said he, he had great common sense. You know, we'd be looking at at a play or looking at, you know, defense or offense too, you know, and he, he, he'd say something about it say, well, we ought to do it this way. And everybody would say, well, gosh, that's right. Why, why didn't we think of that? You know I mean? It, he, uh, he had that common sense about him and he had a way, I don't, you know, I always accused him of having somebody write, write stuff for him, but he, <laughs> he just, it just came out, you know, What's the
0: part of your dad that the, the public didn't know that as we look back on his career during this special time that they should know, what should they know about bum Phillips?
3: Well, I, first of all, he was himself. I mean, you know, he, he really, I mean, he loved football and he loved ranching. And once he was through with football, he was he was a rancher. So, um, and you know, he was uh, he was all the right things. He was kind to people. You know, um, uh, he he valued people's opinions. You know, so uh, you know he, he was he was a special person, obviously, uh, and. Uh, and he cared about his players. Uh, I think people probably knew that, but, but I mean, long after he got through coaching, he, he was still, uh, he still had players out to his ranch and, and still had those same, uh, uh bonds with those guys, even, you know, many, many years later.
0: This is the 62nd season of this franchise and Amy Adams Trunk has made it clear that uh, your dad and and several of the former Oilers are a big part of our history. What does it mean to you and your family? And what do you think it would mean to your dad that Bum Phillips is rightfully being put in this franchise's ring of honor?
3: When when she called uh, and my sisters and myself, uh, a lot of them cried. Uh, I'm not going to say I was one of them, but I might've been, but, uh, it was that special. It really was. It was, um, you know, we, we obviously loved our dad and, and honored him, but this is a great honor for him that, that I think is well-deserved because he won a lot of games, but he, he, uh, he did it the right way.
0: Well, clearly he means so much to your family. And I think about what he means to your football legacy too. I mean, You've had a remarkable football career. Your son is now in coaching as well. I mean, the the roots of uh, of Bum Phillips in a lot of different ways, even outside of your family, football-wise, are incredibly strong. And that's an impressive legacy.
3: Yeah, it is. We, uh, we're uh, – us and the Shulas are the only uh, third-generation NFL coaching family. So that – that they're, uh, and – I'm hoping Wes will be a head coach, and then, then uh, you know, we'll be the only ones that had head coaches in the NFL for three generations.
0: Bum Phillips to be put in the Titans Oilers Ring of Honor. Wade Phillips, thanks for taking time to share with us about your dad.
3: Well, thanks, I appreciate you doing that.
0: Great stuff. Wade Phillips joining us to talk about his dad, Bum. Oilers tribute weekend bum Phillips to be inducted into the ring of honor for the Titans by the way how much better does the ring of honor look at Nissan Stadium with how they've redone it
1: you took the words out of my mouth because as we've done a preseason and a regular season game there it was really nice the way they have done this and the way I understand it that's just absolutely that's temporary until they come up with a, a more permanent solution. But moving it down, for the, for those of y'all listening, the OT people listening to the podcast, and you hadn't been to a game yet this season, it's down now on the lower bowl in the back wall behind the back row of seats in the in the lower bowl on this beautiful navy uh, two-tone blue paint. And it is more prominent. I can see it better. Um, it's classy. It's very classy. I it mean, was, before,
0: it eh, well, not great. It Bob. just was what it was. Yeah,
1: not great. But this fitting and nice
0: yes and they're gonna do more they've made it clear there's going to be more done when the stadium renovations are done towards the ring of honor but so excited that wade phillips and the phillips family have a chance to be here to honor bum phillips this weekend number one question i've gotten about oilers tribute weekend is titans and the colts on sunday will the titans be in oilers uniforms no no, I they wish won't. they would. They, they, they will not. Now but down the road. Okay. Now, wait a minute. Let's let's go through this real quick yep. because I, I think the OT people want to know, and you're welcome to share this with your friends. All right. So Amy Adams Strunk has said that she would like someday for the Titans to wear the old Oilers uniforms. I'm hoping for the 1980s Oilers uniforms. I think they were the coolest, but that's just me. I don't get a vote. Anyway, I <laughs> just throw it out. I'm on the podcast. I could say that, right? Sure. I like those better than the original Oilers uniforms we wore in 2009. Mm-hmm. Maybe because we started 0 6.
1: Bad uh, memories. Yes, bad memories. Yes. That's right. So, Flashback.
0: Okay. So here's how this goes down. Amy Adams Strunk says we'd like to wear Oilers uniforms someday, but they've got to approve a second helmet. A second helmet has now been approved starting next year. Okay, but remember this: to do uniforms, it takes more than a year. It generally is at least a two-year process.
1: And we know from the recent update of the Titans uniform, it took four plus years.
0: Yes, right. It it took a long time. So, just because the new helmet is approved for next year, doesn't seem very likely there would be Euler uniforms next year. I would think, at a minimum, you're talking about two years down the road at a minimum. So for those wondering about this weekend, no. For those wondering about next year, highly unlikely. Mountains would have to be moved. Amy Adams Strunk has been known to move mountains, but if you're realistically talking about it, you're talking about 2023 or beyond based on just what we know the process is. So hopefully that answers a question that many of the OT people have had wondering When we could see the Titans in Oiler uniforms for a throwback, it figures at least to be for a while.
1: And for all of those listening who just heard Mike lay that out and know that it's not going to happen this weekend, this is where delayed gratification comes into play because I want it just as much as you do. Mike wants it just as much as you do. I love Oilers uniforms. You're right. Those 80s Oilers uniforms, really clean, good look.
0: Well, I was proud to be an Oiler. You know, I was very proud when I, when I came to the ball club, I have a lot of oiler garb that's put away that I will pull back out. I was not a Houston oiler. I was a Tennessee oiler. Had Mr. Adams wanted to keep the name that'd been fine with me because he was signing my check. I didn't care. (laughs) Uh, But for a lot of people remembering the context of all this, and you were around for all of it too, Rhett, because you were with all of us, people wanted that name changed badly. Yeah. It was a hot button, it was a big deal. It was like, look, you've moved from Houston to here, and so the bottom line is, we want our own name, we want our own identity. People at that time were not interested in the past. They wanted the now. At this point, 25 years later, there's a Tennessee history, there's a whole thing, and now people are really interested in the Houston Oilers' history. Amy Adams Strunk has hit this just right, timing-wise. Would it have been right to do this in 2000? No, no. if, If you were around then, you know people were interested in the Titans. They were not interested in the Houston Oilers. But today, especially because of how Amy has put herself in a position where she has given Titans fans what they wanted so many times and how close they feel to her, they know if this is important to her, it's important to them. And so that combines with it. The timing, Rhett, is
1: perfect. And I'll say this, and since we're talking uniforms and throwbacks and those things, fashion in the world is much the same way. What is cool a long time ago, a lot of times, retrends Always. decades later. Sure. It's it's a fact. It's, it happens. And you're right. Nobody was interested in the Tennessee Oilers. But now that it's that far removed and we have two-plus decades of Titans history, it's once cool again. It is. And maybe even more than ever, by a long shot, more than what Tennessee Oilers gear was in 97 to 1998. And listen, I think the other part of it is, is knowing that the current Houston franchise cannot wear those, and Titans fans wear that with pride. Well, and part of
0: it, too, is they've now had a team for 20 years. That's right. And so all of that angst about it, that's over. They've got their – they're the Texans. They've got their thing. And Amy realizes that a lot of the Houston Oilers greats that are coming to town, they need a home. That This is their franchise. It is still their franchise, and she wants to make sure that they feel wanted. The Dan Pastorini's, the Billy White Shoes Johnson's. Oh. Warren Moon, Curly Culp is going to be here, Robert Brazil, Elvin Bethea. I I mean, all of this is part of our history, and they embrace Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown and Ryan Tannehill, and that's exciting for the Adams family and exciting for us as well.
1: You're right about, I'm glad that that Titans fans uh, know how important, or at least I believe they think How important this is to Amy Adams Strunk and the family, because it's huge. I mean, that that's been her world, her whole life, and you know she's seen a lot of cool things as a young lady, uh, but has documented that you know she didn't, her dad didn't didn't really know that her and her sister were that interested in it as uh, at a younger age. But the the stuff she's done for this franchise in her tenure as controlling owner is. It's amazing. You know, there aren't that many ladies that, that run franchise. I mean, Georgia Frontieri, we always talked about with the Rams and those things. But what she's done in a short window of time has proven to them that, you know, she wants to win just as bad as they do. And and that's what has made her so endearing to the fan base.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Another former Oiler that I had a chance to visit with this week in preparation for Oilers Tribute Weekend The great Warren Moon, number one, who played quarterback until he was 44 years old, like Tom Brady, threw for over 70,000 yards when you count the CFL and the NFL. I remember sitting in my den on January 1st, 1978, watching him lead the Washington Huskies to an upset victory over Michigan in the Rose Bowl. And that was a massive upset at that time. And so I've always been a fan. He's excited about coming to Nashville. I was excited to get a visit with him. Here's my talk from just a couple days ago with Warren Boone. Warren, can you describe how it makes you feel that Amy Adams Strunk is so intent on shining a light of the Oilers' legacy and making sure people here in the Mid-South know about this great history
4: yeah it even goes back further than that she's you know Amy reached out to the older um alumni a couple of years ago and started having a reunion back a couple of years ago in Houston just kind of bringing back you know all the guys that that, uh, would come back together in the Houston area and now she's expanded that and now she's going to bring all the guys in from wherever they are in the country to uh to have this reunion here in Tennessee to kind of be be part of that family again, it's it's, it's a, just a great thing because, you know, I have the benefit of having some identities with other football teams, even though most of my identity was with, with the Houston Oilers, no question about it. But there were a lot of guys who only played for the Houston Oilers and don't have any other identity. So for all these years, they've had no alumni weekend or they've had no team that they can identify with and go back to. So for Amy to reach out to these guys and do that and bring them back into the fold, I think it's just really a a commendable thing for her to do uh, something that she doesn't have to do, but she understands the history. She understands uh, how important it is to keep all this together because um, you know, all of our history is in Tennessee now and and, uh, we are a part of the Tennessee Titans, whether we want to be or not. And I'm glad she's bringing it all together under one roof.
0: All right. So I want you to give our audience a bit of a history lesson here because I remember the the impact of the moment that you came to the NFL, and you, you're at Washington. You win the Rose Bowl over Michigan. It's very exciting. You go to the CFL. You dominate there. It's 1983. Suddenly, you're able to come into the NFL, and there's like a bidding war. How did you end up with the Oilers? How did that happen?
4: Well, the Oilers actually had reached out to um – To me, the year before my contract was over and they wanted me to try and get out of my contract a year before it was over. That's how bad they wanted me back then. Um, When I started the bidding where there was about seven teams in the NFL that really wanted my services. And it came down to Seattle, which is where I was living in the offseason, and the Houston Oilers, which is where my Canadian Football League coach, Hugh Campbell, was now named the head coach there. So between those two organizations, I was kind of you know split because I was living in Seattle in the offseason while I was in Canada, really loved it there and went to school there, had plenty of relationships there. My wife really, really loved it there. And then Houston, uh, you had a team that you thought could maybe uh, be a rebuilding program, but you also had a head coach that you were familiar with. And we had a lot of success together in Canada winning five championships. So that's the reason why I came to Houston. I think it was a a challenge of going to an organization where I could help turn it around and also be with a coach that was familiar with me and also uh, I had had success with. And then they they offered me a great financial package as well. So the combination of those things is the reason why I went to Houston.
0: What do you remember about Bud Adams' involvement in all of that and your impressions of the Titans' founder and owner?
4: (laughs) He was quite a character, you know, he... Uh, a lot of the times, he'd have a cigar in his mouth, smoking it. Or you know, when I would ever go down to his office, his office was down in like the basement of this building. Uh, it was called, I think, Adams Petroleum Building, and and uh, it, it was one of the most bizarre offices you would see. He had all these artifacts from all these different years of when he started the uh, the AFL and all that. So he was quite a character. I was involved in a lot of different things, and uh, Mr. Adams was always fair to me. He wasn't going to give me anything but uh, when we had negotiations they were tough negotiations but he always was fair to me by the end of it,
0: the run and shoot offense you are so associated with that and i just wonder as you watch offenses at different levels today why was the run and shoot so perfect for warren moon's skill set
4: because of my versatility as a player um, i learned a lot of versatility playing up in canada believe it or not uh, i learned to perfect the drop back game while i was up there to go along with the rollout and and play-action pass game that I already knew coming out of college. So my versatility put me in an offense where I could could do things from the pocket, but I could also do things on the move. And uh, that's what you had to be able to have the ability to do when you ran the run and shoot. And you also had to have a, a really strong arm where you could make a lot of different types of throws because there were a lot of different types of throws involved in that offense, especially throwing down the seams of the field and throwing in the intermediate uh, part of the football field, you had to have a pretty strong arm in order to do those things.
0: Warren, you had a lot of success, late 80s into the 90s, good teams undoubtedly, a lot of talented players, Uh, also a lot of characters and (laughs) storylines with those Houston Oilers teams. Was it as wild and interesting off the field as it seemed to be on the field?
4: (laughs) It was was a different locker room. There's no question about it. Uh, We had a lot of uh, personalities on that team, and – me as a leader, that was one of the things that was one of the challenges for me to try and keep all these guys together. Because when you have all these personalities, you still want to somehow mold that all into a team. And you want guys to be themselves. You want guys to have fun, but you also want guys to be able to be serious and uh, be focused at the right time. So that was the that was the uh, the balance that I had to try and. And, and, uh, and maintain with that football team, making sure the guys stayed loose because we had certain guys in our locker room that would keep the team loose, but we also had guys that were strictly business too that said, okay, it's time to get back to work and, and let's get this stuff done.
0: Warren, you played till you were 44. You threw for over 70,000 yards. You made nine Pro Bowls. You changed professional football for black quarterbacks. You're in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. What are you most proud of from your career?
4: The fact that I was able to help change a mentality around the NFL uh, with owners and general managers and coaches that African-Americans could play the game at a very high level at the quarterback position. And that's not something that I think was thought throughout the league when I first got there. You know, when I got to uh, the Oilers in 1984, I was the only African-American starter in the league. And I was the only African-American other than our third string quarterback, Brian Ransom, who came from Tennessee State. Uh, and then you know Doug Williams was in the USFL. I think Vince Evans was in the USFL. Randall hadn't come into the league yet, so it was just me by myself. So I knew there was a lot of responsibility on my shoulders. That if I played well, and then when Doug came back, he and and Randall came into the league, the three of us at the same time, we played it, the the game at a very high level, and I think that's what changed the minds of of a lot of these owners about these guys can play the position and play it well and, and be the leaders of a franchise and, and all those different things that come along with being a, a franchise quarterback. So that's the thing I'm most proud of, uh, of my time in the league, because when I came out of college, that wasn't the thinking. That's one of the reasons I had to go to Canada, because t- people didn't believe in me as a quarterback. They wanted to change my position and I wasn't going to have that. But once I did get the opportunity to come back to the NFL, I knew I had more of a responsibility than just winning for my organization. I was playing for that next group of young guys who wanted an opportunity to play the position.
0: And now when you turn on the TV on Sunday, you look at the diversity among NFL quarterbacks. Yeah, You have all different looks, all different styles, all different sizes. (laughs) Uh, It's like if you can get the job done, They don't care. They just want you to get the job done.
4: And that's all. It should have always been all along. But I'm glad we're to that point now. And like you said, we had 11 African-American quarterbacks, I think, started on on week one this year. Um, All different sizes, all different shapes, all different styles. It really doesn't matter as long as you're playing top-level football, uh, handling yourself in the proper way, uh, representing your football team in the proper way, both with the organization and in the community and then playing winning football on the field, if you can do that, you should you should get an opportunity to play the game, and I think guys are getting that now.
0: Warren Moon, our franchise has a 60-plus year history, and we are so excited that you are a part of it and that you are going to be part of Oilers Tribute Weekend as the Titans take on the Colts. You're going to get to see Ryan Tannehill play a little quarterback for us, and uh, hopefully you'll have a fantastic time. Thank you so much.
4: Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. There's a lot of guys that I'd love to see that I haven't seen in a lot of years. A lot of guys I have seen a lot because of Hall of Famers and guys like that. So I get to see them at different uh, different um, opportunities and things like that. But I am really looking forward to this weekend. It should be a lot of fun, especially for those guys who have never been involved in an alumni weekend since they uh, retired from the Oilers.
0: Warren Moon, with a lot of good things to say about the Adams family and this franchise, it will be exciting to see him here this weekend for Oilers Tribute Weekend.
1: And just to think about his path, I mean, he was a five-time Grey Cup champion in the CFL and and worked his way in that way. And then the first African-American quarterback elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mean, his, his record stands for itself. I mean, he could he could sling it now. The old run and shoot. I mean, I just I can see him lined up right now. I can see Ernest Givens and Webster Slaughter and Lorenzo White, and I mean, it's all coming back to me.
0: There you go. Well, we got a big one this weekend with the Colts. Derrick Henry, offensive player of the week in the NFL after his performance in Seattle,
1: 24th career 100 yard rushing game. He joins Jim Brown, Ladainian Tomlinson, and Barry Sanders as the only four gentlemen in the history of the game to have 10-plus games of 150 yards rushing and two touchdowns in those 10-plus games. It's elite company.
0: His statistics are starting to get very interesting from a career standpoint. He's now at 6,100 yards rushing in his career. He's still just 28 years old. I will say it again. If Derrick Henry continues to do what he has done this year, if he wins the rushing title, his third straight, if he approaches 2,000 yards, if he goes over 2,000 yards, I don't know. But let's just say he continues this trend. We're starting to talk about Canton in the conversation. And I'm talking about Pro Football Hall of Fame because for a running back, it's generally not an entire career. They're generally judged on stretches of their career.
1: And their impact on their team in those stretches.
0: Like Earl Campbell.
1: Correct. Rookie of the year, three rushing titles.
0: I mean, in essence, he was a Hall of Famer after his third year.
1: And didn't play that long. Didn't play long. And didn't have to because the resume so much in those first five, six years were unbelievable. So
0: you're not going to tell me that if Derrick Henry wins the rushing title this year, his three-year stretch isn't as impressive, if not more so, than Terrell Davis?
1: Let me ask you this. Just for a quick question here on the OTP: If he becomes the first player in NFL history to rush for 2,000 yards back-to-back years, is that the tipping point that helps get him into Canton?
0: I don't know, but I'm just saying it doesn't hurt his case. It doesn't hurt his case. (laughs) But I mean, you look at stretches with running backs. That's the whole key. Is sometimes it is Emmitt Smith who has the massive career. Sometimes it is Walter Payton who has the massive career. And, and I think there's a real chance that he's going to go over 10,000 yards and that he's going to be in this kind of discussion too because he takes such good care of himself. I'm just saying that this stretch of time is so impressive especially when you consider mid-year 2018 and add another half year on to this, and you look at what he's done in the playoffs after the 2019 season.
1: It's as good a stretch as any back in the history of the game. It's
0: pretty doggone good. Yep. Speaking of somebody looking for a pretty good stretch, I have a feeling A.J. Brown bounces back this week.
1: There's no way there's another game in him like that happened in Seattle with the three drops. I think if we know or think we know A.J. Brown at all, he is going to work his rear end off in practice, and I don't think we will see anything like that again this weekend. And you know what? That's a great thing because Julio Jones did Julio Jones things. If A.J. Brown does A.J. Brown things, that's a good thing for this Titans offense against a dangerous 0-2 Indianapolis Colts team.
0: So Julio Jones has played against the Colts three times in his career. He has over 100 yards receiving in all three games.
1: Thank you. More of that, please.
0: Derek Henry's last three games against the Colts, he's gone over 100 yards.
1: More of that, please.
0: A.J. Brown had four for 96 up there last year in the Titans win yep. with a 69-yard touchdown. But I have a hunch... That he is going to come play like Julio Jones did at Seattle. I I just, I think that's going to happen. I love the way he's owned it. I love the way that AJ has said, yeah, it wasn't good. I've been, I'm I'm miserable. He said earlier today, he goes, I'm miserable because I'm coming off a bad game. And everybody who knows how he works and how he goes about it, I think has faith that that was a
1: one-shot deal. I've never, I mean, I don't know how many times I've seen him post on his social media accounts. I want to go out and do the best that I can and be the best that I can for my teammates and I'm going to die trying.
0: Well, you know, we loved this guy before the Titans. You know, there's that video of us celebrating on the General Jackson (laughs) when the Titans drafted him in 2019 during the Nashville draft. And that's kind of embarrassing. But I, I love this guy at Ole Miss. I love his game. I love the way he goes at it. I love the way he competes. I love the way he wants it. I love how important it is to him. Arthur Wan is a special dude. And I think we knew it coming out of Ole Miss and he's lived up to it. I think he lives up to it this weekend.
1: Much like his teammate Derrick Henry, the thing that Titans fans love, just like we do, is their physicality. Mm-hmm. Yes, they put their teammates first, but they get out there and they get physical. It's a and hey, this Colts team coming into town, they're sitting right where the Titans were a week ago. Right. So buyer beware, be careful. Because whoever the quarterback is for them. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. They are sitting in the same spot the Titans were going into the week, uh, going out there to play the Seattle Seahawks. So be careful. And they're physical. That's
0: the design. They're not the Colts of Peyton Manning who are the ultimate finesse team. And they were great at it. They were, they were fantastic. I mean, what they did was, was beautiful and take nothing away from them, not meaning to knock their style of play. These Colts are not like that. These Colts are much more like the Titans than the Colts of the Peyton Manning era.
1: DeForest Buckner, 10 tackles and a quarterback sack already through two games. Darius Leonard, who is their all-world tackle machine, he hasn't had a great start yet. He only has 10 tackles and a forced fumble through two games. I don't want him to get started in this. And then on offense – They've got a stable of running backs who, again, they haven't gotten a great start to their – they have 222 yards rushing as a team. 60 of that is from Carson Wentz. Where they are dangerous right now before they get the run game going is out of the backfield. Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor, I think, have 14 catches for over 120 yards out of the backfield between the two of them, and Naheem Hines is deadly dangerous out of that spot.
0: Farm Bureau Health Plans, where members are the plan. Farm Bureau Health Plans makes it easy for Tennesseans to get health care coverage they need for less than they expect. Get a quote at FBHP.com. want to mention one more thing, and this is not on Titan's topic, but I just want to say it. I had a chance to watch a documentary that I'm thrilled to be a part of. It's called More Than a Voice. It will air this Sunday evening on SEC Network. And it is about the great radio voices of the Southeastern Conference and the history. And I'm here to tell you, set your DVR for Sunday evening. Watch this. If, if you love Southeastern Conference football and if you have a radio voice that you enjoy, if you're an Alabama fan, if you're a Tennessee fan, if you're a Kentucky fan, if you're a Georgia fan, if you're an LSU fan, if you're an Auburn fan, if you're a Mississippi State fan, this is for you. Some of the stories and all of the color that they have layered into this. And it's a group of people with tackle box films. It is one of the finest sports documentaries I've ever seen. And again, the fact that I'm in it just a little bit, I mean, just an honor. So (laughs) more than a voice this weekend, Sunday night on SEC Network. Check your Local listings because I know many of you are in different parts of the world even from can't
1: most. wait to see that I probably have been looking forward to this as much as I did the book of Manning.
0: This is better than that. Wow! I know how okay. good. How good was I'm telling you this is better than that. You will have if you're an SEC fan. And if you, if you grew up listening to games on radio.
1: Yeah, maybe your dad and your uncle and you right. listened to Larry Munson well, called Georgia there's games. A there's a lot of
0: great Munson stuff. There's a lot of great K. Wood-Ledford uh, stuff. There's John Ward. There's, there's lots of John Ward. My man, Jack Crystal at Mississippi State, who used to have us down. When Larry Stone and I started on Titans Radio, he lived in Tupelo. We were on a radio station in Tupelo. And we would go do his Wednesday afternoon radio show. And he would smoke a cigarette and he would have a scotch. He did he only did their games for fifty-eight years. (laughs) And he knew every waitress's name. He knew every waiter. He knew everybody in the kitchen. He would tell us stories about oh I'm going to Tunic on a bus tomorrow to gamble with the old people. Well, he was over eighty. He was a character (laughs) man. And he was just he was so good to us. So nice to us, but he would sit and during commercial breaks and would tell us these stories. You get some of that in more than a voice. So I just wanted to share that. I mean, I was already
1: going to watch, I love now the, I can't wait.
0: I love the OT people. I try to give them good recommendations. More than a voice on SEC Network is something you will enjoy. Awesome. And I get to be
1: in it just a little bit. I've seen the trailer, so which, I know you're there.
0: Which is pretty cool. Oilers tribute weekend this weekend. Get in your seats early at Nissan Stadium For all the festivities, Bum Phillips inducted into the Ring of Honor at halftime. Let them know. Let let them know. I think it's going to be a great crowd. One thing we want to remind you about Nissan Stadium. Had to remind a member of my family this today, so I thought I'd throw it out. It's cashless.
1: That's right. Because all tickets have gone electronic. Right. And so the way you pay for your Your, souvenirs. Your credit card or your
0: debit card. Yeah. So cashless. So remember that. So don't walk in and hand him a 20 and. They won't know what it is. They'll look at you like you have to. Well, they know what it is, but they, they, <laughs> st- they can't take it. So, anyway. It's a good show, Rep. Brian, thanks for stepping in.
1: Love talking this franchise's history. It takes me back to being a little kid. And the fact that a lot of those guys are going to be in the building this weekend. It's going to be a special weekend. And Mr., Mr. Bud Adams, wherever he is right now, I'm telling you, He's proud of his daughter and certainly would be smiling on what is happening this weekend because I don't know anybody loved this franchise more than him. And I guess if it's going to be anybody, it's Amy Adams-Strunk.
0: Well, it's his daughter and his grandsons and his daughter-in-law, the ownership family, really honoring him in this special way. And we're so lucky to be a part of the NFL in the Mid-South because 25 years ago, even the NFL thought it was a bad idea. That's right. And now... They cannot imagine the National Football League without Nashville as one of their home cities, and it's a great honor. And I think it's going to be a special afternoon. The most important thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Go ahead.
0: It's about 3:15. Tennessee Titans need to be two and one.
1: Well, I want to hear you say the Titans get it done again.
0: Maybe at 3:15.
1: Set your uh, clocks. Or, <laughs> hey, don't do that. Tune into Titans Radio. Tune into
0: Titans Radio. For Red Bryant, I'm Mike Keith. We thank you for listening to the OTP.
1: Welcome to the big show where the legends go. Everybody knows it's our house. Fighting for Tennessee. Making history. Greatness is meant to be ours now. Hey, we got Titan blood running through our veins.